maybe. How about a candy store? Do you like going to a candy store? Well, now imagine, just think of your favorite candy. You got it? Well, maybe two or three. Three favorite candies, the ones that you really like. But imagine if you go to the store, but you don't have the money to buy with. It's a shame, no? That would be sad. Well, let me tell you that when I was a kid, I remember going to a little store where they sell office supplies, but also candy, a lot of candy. And many times when I was in that store, I didn't have any money, but I was able to come out with no, not only one, but many of my favorite candies. You know how I did it? No, I didn't steal it. I didn't steal it. <laughs> yes, I knew you were going there, but no, I didn't steal it. The owner of the place was my uncle, and he was very generous. So he would give me as many candy as I, I would like, obviously without my parents knowing. <laughs> Today, as we continue with our study of Luke, I want you to see who the owner of everything is and how we can respond to the gifts he gives to us. So let's read together Luke 20, 45 to 21, 4, and it's in our screens. But, um, so it's uh, Luke 20, 45, all the way to 21, 4. I'm going to read it. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor and feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting her, their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be touching our hearts and our minds and touching my lips, Father, so I can express your word clearly and that we can respond according to what you are asking from us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So continuing with our series in Luke, Certainty in Christ, last week Pastor John preached from Luke 20, 27 to 44. And we saw a religious group called the Sadducees, differently from the scribes and Pharisees, other religious groups that want to destroy Jesus. And they have this in common. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes, they all want to uh, destroy Jesus. They want to get rid of him. Uh, they confront Jesus. Well, one of the main things is they want to destroy him because they don't believe that he is the Messiah and he's coming to check all their theater, the things that they're doing. And we're going to see some of the things that they're doing. But 
they confront Jesus with a not very clever questions, a question about a widow remarrying to her brothers-in-law so she would not be destituted and for her late husband to continue his lineage. These men die and finally she dies. So in the resurrection, who's going to be the, her husband? That was mainly the question. So Jesus, instead of answering directly, he gives some insight into the resurrection. We saw that because Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrection is real. Jesus proves with scripture from Exodus and Psalms that he is the Messiah, also proving that he is the God of the resurrection too. If Jesus is the Messiah, then all is under him as uh, one of the professors and scholars, uh, uh, he states that this is the highest weightiest question in life. Christ is the Lord absolutely of the whole human race. Even David's Lord, his Lordship is the highest and most blessed one. So last week we saw that also uh, Jesus brings up the theme of, of David, right, in Psalm 110, and he's saying even David is recognizing the Lord as his Messiah, even though he was going to be under his lineage. So meaning like great, 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 great grandson, right? Jesus is uh, David's great, great, great grandson, but David is recognizing Jesus as the Lord of everything, as his Lord. So that's, that's something very important that, that uh, we have to put weight in. So this morning, as we meditate on our text, let's think about our relationship with Christ. Do we believe that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lord of all? The Lord of all? Not only the candy store, but the Lord of all. If he is the Lord of absolutely the whole human race and the Lord of all, how are we responding to his lordship? Do we live as we belong to him? Do we honor him as we ought to? Do we worship him with everything we are and have? So our main point this morning is because Jesus is the Lord of all, we must worship him. Through these passages, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would show us how we can truly worship him. So here I see two ways of, of how we can do it. One, we worship him with our lives. And the other one, we worship him with our money. So first, we worship him with our lives. Jesus said to the people and his disciples, beware of the scribes. Can you imagine the scribes are right there present among those listening. This is not, is not withholding anything. Sometimes if we're going to speak bad about someone, we just wait for that person to leave, right? Well, we shouldn't do that, but, but that's what I've heard. That's what usually people do. But here, Jesus is, is just, he's clearly, he's saying, he's talking bad about them, but in the presence of, in their own presence. So uh, we have a saying in Spanish. I tell you, Chana, so you, Juana, can understand. Meaning, I'm declaring to you, Chana, right here, a specific person or group of people. So Juana, that is also around, can also hear and hopefully 
understand. Jesus is allowing the scribes to listen so they have a chance to repent and change their ways before it is too late. So we find this group of religious leaders again. If we remember, the scribes were those teachers of the law who wrote, copied, and preserved written documents from common transactions to national archives and sacred texts. In the New Testament, in many cases, they are the teachers of the people associated with the Pharisees. They constantly criticize Jesus for his identification with sinners and outcasts. Jesus' just anger against them is because they are pretending to be godly men, but they are actually the opposite. So in verse 45, it says that they look they like to walk around in long robes. According to some scholars, the long robes are for them to show the written law of God on them. As the Lord had commanded the Jews to carry some sentences from his law, both on forehead and on their garments, they take advantage of this to make them visible and differentiate themselves from the rest of the people. Literally, putting on or embroidering words with gold so uh, over their garments so walking around announcing their piety and religiosity everywhere they go but their hearts are not there they love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts they are seeking constant approval and promote themselves using their positions of spiritual leadership to gain recognition and status. They are best at receiving glory, honor, and public respect. In verse 47, continues saying here, well, it says that uh, Jesus is uh, expo exposing him, exposing them, saying, you who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. These men who are showing off for being the most holy and true examples of spirituality are constantly defiling themselves and even financially defrauding. They are true wolves in sheep's clothing, picking on the most vulnerable people in society, widows. They pretend to be interested in widows' suffering and loneliness, presenting long prayers, but actually praying on their goods and money. Jesus declares they will receive the greater condemnation. To these scribes who don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Lord of all things, Jesus is giving them a chance to repent and change their ways. Jesus refers to a greater condemnation because they have overturned God's worship and corrupted holy doctrine to ultimately look for their own honor and glory, and possibly lead people astray from the truth with their misinterpretation. So can you imagine these men and their intent to take advantage of those who are most vulnerable? Jesus sees right through their guise. Some of you have met my mother. She has now been a widow for almost six years. She lives in Mexico City, but she comes and, and visits so often. So for obvious reasons, she admits that it has not been easy for her. 
she finds herself feeling lonely and in many instances waiting to get home to share with my dad something she just experienced while running some errands. Coming home to the sad reality that my dad is no longer there. If you're a widow, I'm sure you, you perfectly understand what I'm talking about. Some of the things she shared with me and gave me permission to talk about is her vulnerability, 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 sorry, <laughs> towards others. She has sad experiences when people take advantage of her. Sometimes charging her more, charging her more money than what they are supposed to, giving her higher prices or even stealing money from her. I get angry and, and I feel inept to help her in such circumstances being so far away. We also know of certain supposed ministries that prey on those who are vulnerable, widows, the sick, even poor. This could be cons considered modern-day scribes in TV. You, you know what, who I'm talking about. They give long prayers and promises God's blessing or even healing if donations are given to their ministry. They claim piety, but it's their own pockets they want to fill. So as we mentioned before, Jesus is talking to the people and scribes, but he is also calling the attention of the disciples. Beware. Both in the sentences of be careful with the scribes, but also, don't become like the scribes, falling into the same pattern. Don't be a hypocrite. Brothers and sisters, friends, how are we living a Christian life? How are we living our Christian lives? Are we worshiping the Lord of Lords by giving him the glory? There's a guy, his name is C.D. Jimmy, Jimmy again says in his book, the, uh, he wrote a book, Imitation of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. So he, said, he says, in Jesus' time, long robes and public recognition may be seen today as wealth, career, education, and physical appearance, and more specific markers like what we wear, what we drive, and what gadgets we own. If we find ourselves keeping track of who has or doesn't have the right markers or of who has noticed the markers we have, we have embraced the mindset of self-exaltation rather than that our servanthood. I would add, there is nothing wrong with all of this as long as in constant humility we give praise to the one that has given and enables us to achieve using it all for his glory. So again, it's not the thing. It's, I mean, yeah, you can have a Ferrari, but how do you use it? Do you use it for his glory? Do you show off and, hey, look. <laughs> do you spend hours and hours, and sometimes your wife is a little uh, jealous for spending more time with your car than, than your wife? I mean, we have to balance, right? How do we use our, our, our goods, the things that God gives us, our achievements? And again, there's nothing wrong with desiring encouragement, affirmation, and even praise. We must receive these as gifts rather than demand them as our due. This, 
may be more subtle than we realize. I have to confess that many times I seek recognition and honor, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would remind me of the perfect example of humility in Christ, that he put himself in the lowest place for us. And again, Jimmy again says, our first alliance is not to rank superiority or recognition, but to our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, when self-exalting attitudes threaten to weigh down our hearts, we must repentantly pray for strength to deny ourselves instead. So in both cases of recognition and approval, God has already given us full recognition and approval in Christ. Not that we earned it, but that Christ has obediently done everything for us. The approval and recognition that this world offers are temporal and vain. But the one that God gives is permanent and fully satisfies. Even though my mother has seen difficult times, I praise God for her church, the pastor that cares for her and for the community of believers who are around her, praying and loving her. How are we caring for our widows or for our most vulnerable ones among us? As we read in Malachi 3.5, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And in James 1.27 it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So we have some widows and some vulnerable, vulnerable ones here in our congregation, as well as in our community. Can we go out our way to care for them, not out of duty, but out of an overflow of love as, par as part of our worship to our Lord? For homework, next week I'm going to be at the entrance of the church and asking for... For homework, if you don't know a widow or someone that is vulnerable, I encourage you to ask around or just notice around. And once you find this person, please think of practical ways you can bless them as you worship the Lord. And that takes us to the second point. We worship our Lord with our money. Luke 21, 1 through 4. While Jesus is finishing his remarks against the scribes, he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. It is said that there were 13 offering boxes. Such offerings were used for the maintenance of the temple and different sacred and benevolent purposes. So it was, as we know, in the Old Testament, they didn't just give money as we actually uh, we do. Well, we actually give some other things. But, but uh, it was the first or, or of the crop or different different gifts uh, uh, it talks about linen people bring clothing and, and other uh, fabrics but um but they were used for different purposes the boxes were located in the area of the temple where the women worshiped it was open to everyone so jesus saw all 
all that ha that is happening, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and then a poor widow. Some commentators said perhaps one of the widows that had been taken advantage of by the scribes. But she comes and she puts in two small copper coins. That is two mites, the smallest Jewish coin, something similar to two cents maybe, probably less because of, you know, uh, inflation and everything, but <laughs> maybe less. But, but Jesus affirms this poor widow who has put in more than all of them. Kids, you may say, well, but she, if she put two little cents, how are we comparing to all the money or, or all the things that, that the rich put? Well, he in no way is putting down those who are giving, but comparatively to the widow, they gave out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus elevates and recognizes this woman above everyone else. So he's, he's not saying, oh, those rich, I don't, I don't take account of them, but this, this woman. No, but she's, he's saying, yes, I'm glad these rich men are putting, but they're, they're putting money or, or, or gifts from what they, they have leftovers, more or less. But this widow is putting out of her scarcity. She's putting actually everything she has there. So this is an example of true worship. This woman, forgetting herself, she wanted to testify that everything she was and everything she had belonged to God. Think of some of the better moments in Israel's history when they did give generously. When they truly recognized God's presence and work in their lives. For example, when they are building the tabernacle. In Exodus 36, 3 to, say, 3 to 6, it says, The people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained for bringing more. Wow. Can you imagine if we had to be restrained for bringing more? <laughs> that would be amazing. And I, I think Josh would be very happy to say that. <laughs> Josh is our treasurer. But so, so people, let's think back then. They're, they're building. They're so encouraged. They're getting to know God closely. And then that is pushing them to bring and bring morning after morning, morning, morning after morning. And let's not forget about the, the elders and the deacons. I mean, those craftsmen that are working and, and working in the, in the in building the tabernacle, right? They're putting all their money and effort, I mean, all the effort and, and, and all the abilities to, to build something beautiful and precious. But they have to stop the work and say, Moses, please, tell them not to bring anything else, please. Look, where are we going to put it? Come on, Moses, please. So Moses has to go and say, hey, stop bringing money, please. Stop bringing thousands of dollars. People, no, don't bring more money, please. We have enough. 
We have enough for all our ministries, all the missionaries, everyone else. So that's amazing. That's, that's a beautiful picture of generosity. Or when King David is preparing and collecting the goods for when Solomon starts the construction of God's temple. It says in 1 Chronicles 29, 9 and 14, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly, saying, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only that comes from your hand. So he's recognizing, I mean, if we give everything, we're doing nothing. We're doing nothing because everything has come from you, Lord. Everything has come from you. The widow, in this case, the tendency is to think that Jesus is asking everyone to give everything we have to him as an act of true worship. But looking at the context, Jesus is not asking us to give all our, all our possessions in a literal way, but he's commending the widow for finding her true and whole satisfaction in God as she fully worships him, fully surrendering to God, giving him all she is and has. That is why Jesus recognizes such a sacrifice. So he's not asking us to bring all of our uh, uh, bank accounts and, okay, Pastor John, here is, here's my bank account, keys of my car and house and everything. But he's, it's, it's the heart, what he's asking from us. How, if David's, David's reflection of, of just recognizing who God is, whose lordship is that, it's, Everything belongs to you, God. What can I give back to you? But if you have questions on, on bringing gifts or, or how much should I give, pray about it. Pray about it. And say, how can I use my life? How can I use the gifts that you have given me? My car, my house, everything, my family, my talents, my career. How can I use it for your glory? As we saw two weeks ago, when the spies sent by the scribes and the chief priest to ask Jesus about being lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not, Jesus answers with a denarius, whose image is this, or is there, give Caesar, or they, they answered, yeah, that's Caesar's. Okay, so give Caesar what it's Caesar's. Okay, which image are you made out of? Which image is man made after? Well, God's image. Well, give God what belongs to God. We are God called to give all we are to God. And in the sense of offering everything as a sacrifice. Recognizing that everything has come from him. And we can use it for his glory. So this beauty, beautiful offering of the widow points to the perfect sacrifice Christ has done on the cross for us. He denied, him, denied himself and was presented as a living sacrifice for us so that we can present perfect offerings transformed and beautified by Jesus our Lord and Savior. If the Lord of all has given everything for us, 
what can we give back to him as a sign of gratitude for such love? Paul reminds us about a true offering in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you are here and you had not heard about what Christ has done for you, or maybe you have heard what Christ has done, but you haven't done anything about it, I encourage you to come to Jesus, who has lived a perfect life for you. He has died on the cross for you and has risen to give us eternal life. The Bible says that we just need to repent from our ways. Come, believe, and recognize him as your Lord and Savior. Present yourself as a living sacrifice and live for him. As we saw the scribes, they are living a double life, promoting themselves. Jesus is asking us to come with hearts that find full acceptance in him and worship him, living a life that honors him, being satisfied in everything he has done for us, considering the great sacrifice of our Lord as he has bought us with his precious blood. We can come with surrendered hearts, bringing our generous tithes and offerings as a response to his infinite love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would show us your will. Father, help us understand what are you, what are you requesting from us, Father. Help us to, to be a living sacrifice, not only spiritually, but but to respond in our lives and even, even in our givings with our money, Father, to the true sacrifice that Christ has done for us in the cross. Remind us of the gospel and that we can glorify you in everything we do and say. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As a response...